This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. I'll be joined in a little bit by Phil Miller, Star Tribune Twins beat writer. We'll talk about the opening six-game road trip, ultimately very successful for the Twins, who went 4-2 and two in that span, including a 3-2 to two victory on Wednesday. Home opener Thursday afternoon, 3 p.m. against Seattle, weather permitting. Everything's weather permitting in April outside of Minnesota, but uh, we'll see if they get that one in. And we'll see if 10,000 fans are in the stands at Target Field for that game. But first, what did I miss? Got to talk about the Wild today for quite a while because 8-3 to over Colorado demands attention. And I was already, I already had them on my radar, and it's kind of a funny thing. So um, I went into last night's game thinking, okay, the Wild 2-5 and against Colorado this season um, going into their, their last meeting of the season, Wednesday night at Excel Energy Center. So I'm, I'm like, okay, so what's what's the storyline here? And, you know, there's there's a lot of things to, to, to key into and to key on because obviously there's playoff implications, there's, you know, other things, there, you know, really the biggest thing that was kind of standing out to me was the power play for the Wild. And had, it had been getting better um, after an atrocious start to the season. I believe they were 5 for 74 at one point this season on the power play, you know, worst in the worst in the NHL um, at, at that at that pace for sure. Um, and and the, the reason I was keying in on the power play is Colorado's got a great power play. They came into that game last night with, I believe, 33 power play goals, and the Wild had 14. Even with an improving power play, which had been, you know, it was funny. I was re- I was researching it. I tweeted something about it. Aaron Sickman from the Wild who does a great job. He's one of their PR. PR guys over there tweeted back at me and said, hey, you know, if you look at the game notes, you'll see that they're actually, you know, it's tied for sixth best in the NHL over the last, you know, month or so. Nine for 43, I think it was at that point, you know, over a 20% clip, getting better. So I was like, okay, I can work with that. I can I can use that. So I watched the game. They get a power play goal almost right away. I'm like, okay, this this is going to help me kind of shift the narrative at least. This is this is a shifting narrative, not a not a they're bad at the power play. This is a they were bad at the power play. Are they getting better at it? And then they keep bang, 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 bang. Four power play goals in that eight to three win. Four power play goals and five chances. That gives them 13 for 48 since March 10th. So about the last month. That's 27%. That'd be good for among the best in the NHL over a full season. So, you know, what changed? I don't know if a whole lot tactically changed. I'll, I'll play a quote from uh, from Jared Spurgeon here in a minute, just about what you know what the implications are and, and what they're doing on the power play. Seems like they've simplified a little bit, and some of it's just you know the evening out of of things. Sometimes you know a, a sample size of seventy four seems like a lot, but you know if if you get some bad bounces or you know things don't quite go your way on a few of them, it looks even worse than it is. But long story short, four for five on that power play in an 8 to 3 win. Why is that important? Well, two reasons. One, they needed I feel like they needed to beat Colorado for their own psychological edge. I don't think they're going to catch Colorado in the standings. They're still 6 points below the Avs. I think the Avs might be the best team in the NHL if you just look at everything they've got going for them. If they're not the best, they are one of the maybe three best. I think the Wild is one of the 10 best, but that's a different that's a different category right now. But to win that game eight to three gives you a little bit of okay if we ever if we do wind up seeing these guys in the playoffs, which would likely be in the second round. If you look at the standings, and I'm feels like Colorado's going to get a little bit more separation. The Wild keeps going on this trajectory. Vegas keeps going on their trajectory. It's going to be Wild against Vegas in the first round, then Colorado against whoever gets the four seed. But 
It's important because if you do manage to get past that into the second round, then you 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 haven't had your last you know the, the 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 three games before that Colorado would score at least five goals, couple of blowouts in there. Um, you're not going in thinking, oh, we can't beat these guys. We can't do anything against these guys. Number two, you're going to have to score goals like this in the playoffs. You're going to have to get power play goals. Special teams become increasingly important as the games get tighter. You're not going to have this five-on-five flow all the time like you did at the start of the season when the Wild was dominating five-on-five play, just a great five-on-five team and able to get themselves into a playoff position despite that power play that had been going so bad until about a month ago. So, it gives them that bit, too. This, all of a sudden, then, you watch a team last night that looks like a team that could win in the playoffs, that could compete with Colorado, and it's just one game. But when you see it for a game, you say, okay, they could do this for multiple games in a series, perhaps. They, they, they wouldn't just be overwhelmed in a series with Colorado, and that's important. It's important to know you can play that way against a good team that has a good penalty kill. You know, the Wild has a good penalty kill, but Colorado's still, like, number six in the penalty kill in, in, the, in the NHL, in, despite the four goals they gave up last night. So their special teams are, you know, rock solid at the top. Colorado still has 35 power play goals to the Wild's 18, so it's, it's a waste of ways to close that gap. But if you look at the last, you know, month or so, the Wild is starting to close that gap. And, you know, don't just take my word for it in terms of importance. Here is Jared Spurgeon talking about why it was so important to get those power play goals in Wednesday night's game and how they are going about doing it. It helps. Obviously, start of the year, uh, we're scoring goals even strength, and um, that was carrying us. But um, as the season goes on and games get tighter, you're going to need one on the power play when you get those chances. So um, you guys did a good job. and. Um, finishing on those chances that we had. Bones has been great. Net front, screen the goalie or whoever is net front there. So I think with both units, we're just trying to simplify, move the puck quick and uh, not overpass and get those shots through. Just a closing thought on this too. Now the Wild is done with Colorado for the season. So 18 games left for Minnesota, four with Vegas still, which will be big in terms of solidifying not only playoff position, but maybe bumping into that number two seed where then you get the home ice advantage, which starts to mean something a little more as fans are allowed back into the building. That was the second game the Wild had Wednesday night with 3,000 fans at Excel Energy Center. But then the other 14 are with teams below them in the standings. Not saying they're a bad team. Got a whole bunch of games with St. Louis. They're a team hungry to get in the playoffs. You know, San Jose, which hasn't been a pushover for the Wild. Um, you know, Arizona still in the mix. So it's not like they're playing bad teams necessarily. Not like they're playing the very bottom of the division most of the time. But done with Colorado, which should help them You know, over these last 18 games solidify their spot as they go forward and try to push into the playoffs. We need to talk a little bit about the Wolves, too. They lose 141 to 137. You know, I tweeted at halftime it was an embarrassing performance because they were losing by like 20 at one point to, to Indiana, which is not a bad team, but Indiana is missing a ton of its best players. Sabonis is out. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is out. Turner is out. So, you know, they're missing three, four of their best players. You're thinking, okay, and they're playing on the second half of a back-to-back, too. So you're thinking, okay, this is maybe one where the, where the Wolves could finally put together a two-game winning streak for the first time since the beginning of this season, when, if you don't forget, they won their first two games this year. That was right before Cat got hurt and everything kind of fell apart. Now, you can't really say everything fell apart, though, if there's only two games. Maybe the things were not meant to work out from the beginning. But, you know, just a, a really immature performance from the Wolves is the best way I can put it. It just, you know, when you, when you have some success, you beat Sacramento the other night, you only gave up 106 points. You need to come into this game with a little bit more of a, okay, you can't feel great about yourselves yet. You, you can't feel good about yourselves until you've actually like won 
seven out of ten, uh, you know, six out of eight, something like that, where you've actually put together a string of good games. And this team has a good game, and then the next game they tend to come out flat. And so obviously that's you know a bunch of games in a row where they've won, and then the very next night they've come out and lost. And they, they did narrow the gap. It got close at the end. They had it to a point where if they could have gotten a stop, they could have had a shot to tie at least, but they, they didn't quite close that gap enough at the end. Could not get stops, which is, you know, again, against a, a, an Indiana team missing a lot of its top players and especially a lot of its top scorers. I don't understand how that happens. And, you know, Dane Moore and I talked on Wednesday's podcast a lot about, you know, competence. Can this team be competent over the last 20-some games, uh, you know, at the end of the season? Now 20 exactly to end the season. And that did not feel like a competent performance, at least for the the vast majority of it. You know, I mean, now if you just look at it overall, a team without a winning streak is going to have, obviously, you know, a lot of losses pile up. But I just kind of went back to last season, too, because a lot of the same – you know, a lot of the same roster that's here right now was was here towards the end of that last season too, after the trade deadline. This doesn't completely line up, but Wolves are now 19 and 63 in their last 82 games played. That's a full NBA season's worth of games. 19 and 63 this season. 13 and 39, and then you go back to last season. I think they were. Uh, I think I counted up six and 24 in their last 30 last year. So that's that's a team that is not. <laughs> Put it, put it bluntly, not good, uh, but even worse than that. They, they they can't put together more than one win at a time, and that's really you know the sign of an immature team. I should mention, too, huge upset in girls' high school basketball. Chaska knocks off Hopkins, ending their 78-game winning streak in the uh, Class uh, class 4A semifinals on, on Wednesday. What a, you know, anytime a team has won 78 in a row, they're a prohibitive favorite. Not only number one team in the state this year, number one team nationally ranked by ESPN. Chaska just comes in and says, nope, this is where the streak ends. 78 games. They had tied a state record but could not break that record. And now Chaska can go and try to win a state championship. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Let's talk some twins right now on Daily Delivery. Phil Miller, a twins beat writer who has been on the road for the first six games, gets to come back to Target Field now for Thursday's home opener is uh, nice enough to join me. Phil, how are you doing and uh, how, is, uh, how is life on the road? <laughs> well, uh, not uh, great yet, but uh, there's hope, uh, among other things. Uh, home opener Thursday, uh, vaccination Friday. So uh, um, hopefully uh, the road right now is a life full of uh, wearing masks and getting takeout food and sitting in hotel rooms. So um, hopefully uh, life is changing before long. Yes, indeed. To all of that, twins on the road um had some success it was it feel like a lot happened in those six games it was uh, an eventful start to the season i mean their only two losses have been in weird extra innings fashion it's my new yeah. my new uh my new petty kind of uh thing is to to label those to give them the loser point in those games i think this is nhl style standings and as long as they're going to do this weird <laughs> extra innings rule they should get a, a half win for uh for those uh extra inning games but 
you know, you, you, they get walk, you know, they, they lose the opener to Milwaukee. Then the sky is falling. Then, you know, they lose Donaldson Buxton leaves a game and through it all, they, they managed to win four games. The starting pitching is held up great. Um, you know, Buxton comes back and keeps smashing home runs, but I want to hear from you. What, what was your, what are your kind of big picture takeaways from what you've seen from this team so far, you know, either outcome wise or just on the field wise? Uh, you, well, starting pitching, you hit it. Uh, uh, we knew that uh, Kenta Maeda and Jose Barreos looked fantastic in Florida. And, you know, obviously uh, things will change once uh, batters are more locked in uh, and the season starts. But, uh, well, Jose Barreos uh, hasn't allowed a hit yet this, uh, this season. Um, Kenta Maeda has uh, looked good, not um, unhittable the way he did in Florida. But, uh, you know, the real story is I came away thinking – um, Michael Pineda, you know, I wonder if time is catching up to him, uh, not to mention Jay Happ. And, uh, you know, he didn't look particularly good uh, the last couple of outings uh, in Florida, or at least the last one. And uh, Matt Shoemaker, um, good and bad, I, I guess his uh, best start was on a backfield that uh, we didn't even get to see. So I thought the rotation was a bigger question mark than the twins were letting on. And uh, through the first week of the uh, season, that has been proven false. I mean, you know, it's only six games, but uh, uh, it took five games before uh, they allowed a run the first time through the order. Um, So the starting starting pitchers were giving them a chance to uh, take the lead early in every game. and, uh, you know, the, both of their losses uh, came in the 10th inning. Uh, I think they have uh, good reason to be very optimistic uh, about this rotation now. And, uh, and that's without even giving Randy Dobnak, who looked good in Florida, uh, a shot yet. You got, uh, no, let me just spend a little bit of time on Wednesday's game specifically, because, you know, that was, a, that was an important one. You want to finish, you feel like you play pretty well You'd like to finish the 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 road trip on with a winning record, not come home. You know, three and three wouldn't be the end of the world, but for the way they played, it felt like four and two was more of what they deserved. And so to kind of come back, you know, you get Nelson Cruz, you know, and against the, the against the Tigers, you know, legit starting pitcher right. Matthew Boyd. Uh, I mean, he he's good. Yeah, so you get you know. Nelson Cruz is legging out and I wasn't watching the game. And so I was watching, I had like the game cast on, on, and it was like, it looked like that inning was over. So I started doing something else. The next thing I see, it was three to two. I was like, how did that happen? And it hadn't updated yet. It was like, it looked like they'd had three outs, but suddenly Nelson Cruz was on base and he was getting doubled in by Polanco. But that whole inning kind of, you know, Cruz gets to stay on first after beating out the, the ground ball and he scores. And then the Tigers do everything they can to not score in the bottom half with the, uh, you know, what, what they had, four like three hits and a walk but didn't score because two guys got thrown up the plate um i guess how important was that inning and just winning wednesday's game in the picture in the you know in the in the bigger picture of the road trip in general i channel my uh my uh little league coach uh from uh i'm afraid to say how many years ago uh it shows the value of busting down the line uh because nelson cruz the slowest player on the team uh well, I don't know. He and Pineda would be an interesting race. But, uh, <laughs> the slowest player on the team, one of the uh, 
10 slowest players in the big leagues. Um, hit a ball that uh, got knocked down in the infield, uh, looked like the inning ender, and he hustled down the line and beat it by, uh, uh, you know, a millisecond and extended the inning. All the Tigers ran off the field until uh, uh, the umpire stopped them. They reviewed it, and, uh, you know, uh, my God, he was safe. Uh, and uh, it was the – I mean, how important was it? That was the only time the entire game that the Twins had two runners on base uh, – Cruz at first and Garlic on second. Uh, that's how well Boyd was pitching. Uh, Jorge Polanco comes up and uh, knocks a double on the warning track. And uh, again, Cruz comes roaring around the bases, scores from first base on that uh, without uh, even a close play. Uh, he slides across the, the plate. Um, that was uh, a huge game against a good pitcher. And, uh, and then the fact that they went out and with defense, shut the Tigers down, you know, that inning, like you say, three hits and a walk and the Tigers didn't score. And then the bullpen took over. Uh, I, I, it was an impressive win. And you're right. Uh, a, a win that they felt like they had coming to them the way they've uh, played on this road trip. Was I too quick to uh, be mad at Alexander Colome? He looks like he's pretty good when he throws to the right base. Anyway, he's uh, <laughs> two, a two inning save on uh, on, on Wednesday and you know pretty pretty clean work in preserving a 3-2 win he came uh, uh jogging in from the uh bullpen in the eighth and i heard the official scorer say i had to double check and make sure what inning it is uh he wouldn't the, the twins don't give guys two inning saves right and i assured him no no this means this must mean they're gonna use taylor rogers or uh uh maybe tyler duffy in the ninth but Sure enough, uh, Colome went out the second inning. Uh, it's uh, I wish Patrick Royce were here to uh, note that uh, we're six games into the season, and uh, the reason for the two-inning save was that Rocco was worried about overusing the bullpen and uh, how uh, their, their workload uh, they're carrying, so he didn't want to use Duffy or Rogers. But don't, it, they, have, right, don't, they, have 14, uh, don't they have 14 pitchers now? How can they overuse they do these now. guys? They do now. They called up another one today, uh, sent down a, a – sidelined a position player Brett Rooker on the injured list and yeah they've uh, they've uh, they've got a nine-man bullpen but uh uh yeah that's that's modern baseball uh if they pitch more than twice a week um you need to uh, make a roster move uh but yeah Calame looked great uh, he he really impressive at bat against Miguel Cabrera who well the numbers show that Cabrera is a drag on the lineup but Every, it seems like every time he comes up, they are uh, challenging at bats. Uh, and he, he, uh, Colome fought him for nine pitches before finally Cabrera put the ball in play and uh, he hit on the ground. And he's slower than Nelson Cruz, so it was a double play. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was an entertaining game. He looked good, um, and the Twins made enough out of the little offense they had to uh, pull it off. Byron Buxton, you know, off to a, a great start, had the the illness scare, you know, anytime you buck, anytime Buxton comes out of a game, anytime anybody comes out of a game mid game, you worry. I mean, you had Donaldson come out of that, that very first game and he's sounds like he's taking batting practice. Maybe the hamstring isn't quite as, quite as bad as some, some other injuries could be, but you know, especially when Buxton comes out, you worry, but then he comes roaring back has a long, another long home run in what's it Tuesday's game. I believe he's got three on the mm-hmm. year already looking every bit like he's absolutely ready for this season. What, what have you 
I mean, did you see this coming in, in Florida? Did he look like a player ready to put it all together in, in a certain way and kind of an extension of 2020 in a little bit, but you know, just, just how he was playing and, and the, the momentum he carried into this year so far. Well, he's played in five games and two of them only, uh, only half of the games or not even half. Uh, when he came out, he came out in the third inning. He's played five games and he has an extra base hit in all of them. That's uh, ties the longest uh, streak of his career. I can't say I saw him coming out of the, uh, coming out of Florida as uh, the leading candidate for American League MVP. I don't know if he's that, but he's certainly uh, probably the Twins MVP right now. Um, you know, he got he he made it a point to say that he got stronger this offseason, that uh, that was his big uh, focus, that he's more relaxed at the plate now, that he's learned that his hands are quick enough to get to fastballs. So his approach now is to uh, – try to sit on off speeds and really punish them with the knowledge that he's it, it's, it's a lot harder than it used to be to blow a fastball by him. And he's pretty confident about that. So that approach uh, is, uh, is working well for them. And uh, you know, I, I just think about when he came up, he was a classic boy. If he just puts the ball on the ground 200 times a year, he'll beat out a third of those. Um, he's not interested in that. He hits the ball too hard. Barrios pitched, you know, like you said, he hasn't given up a hit yet. Um, how good was that? You know, we saw it on TV. How, how much better was it in person? Uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, that was as sharp as the curveball has ever been, I thought. Uh, it, there was a definite falling off the table aspect to it, um, uh, which is interesting because he, uh, you know, he, I think he more thinks of himself as a fastball pitcher. Uh, lately even mixes in that other stuff but the amazing part was as little as you could uh, as much as you wanted to focus on Boreos he was being uh, matched by Corbin Burns uh, inning by inning and in fact Burns had a six strikeout streak at one time uh, it was a uh, it was a pretty interesting pretty entertaining uh, battle between them uh, and uh you know, ended a little earlier than uh, we expected, but uh, he only went six. I asked him today if if, uh, if he holds uh, Seattle's hitless for three innings tomorrow, will he think of it as a no-hitter in his mind? Um, but he said that wouldn't be fair. So he's, uh, he's ready. He's pumped up to pitch in front of his family. Defensively, do you feel like they're kind of where they want to be right now? I feel like the first series, it wasn't – quite as smooth as it could be and I really thought that was going to be a strength coming into the season I think it will be um great plays by uh Kyle Garlick and and Anderton Simmons has had has had subtle but uh pretty exciting uh defensive plays uh, in this series just a couple of them today's he uh he went out and got the relay from uh Jake Cave and turned and just fired up just uh a cannon shot to the plate uh, to uh, throw a runner out in that sixth inning. Uh, it's the kind of play that um, that a lot of shortstops can't make. Uh, we won't name names, but uh, uh, there was Rocco was talking after the game about there's just something about him uh, that take charge attitude that uh, they really like. I, I, yeah, they had a couple of uh, mistakes uh, in that first series. Have cleaned it up here. I. I I still think defense will uh, will up the middle defense, especially will uh, 
be a strength. Six games is not much of a season. Is it enough time for you to say, I, I think this is this team's identity. Do you have a bead on kind of what you think this team is at this point, aside from good, which we think they are? No, I don't think so. Six games isn't enough. Uh, they, uh, they've gotten some timely hits, but, but not a lot of offense. Uh, you know, you face good pitches the first week too. Uh, so uh, I don't know that, uh, I don't know that we know yet. They, you know, they got no hit uh, for six innings, uh, one game in Milwaukee. They, uh, like I said, they put uh, two men on base only once in Detroit. Uh, I don't know if the offense is going to, it's, it's not going to be what it was in 2019. I, I don't know that, uh, that you're going to see an offense like that uh, very often, but um, is it a better offense than last year? I think so, but it's too early to say, is it going to be a team built around starting pitching the way the nationals were a couple of years ago. I don't think that uh, the numbers are there now. They lead the uh, league in starting pitching, but uh, that doesn't seem to be their, uh, their character yet. So uh, from what I can tell right now, it's Nelson Cruz and Willens Astadio's team. Uh, that's those guys are in charge of the clubhouse for sure. And uh, it might, you know, maybe their identity will just be uh, having a good time laughing with those guys. Maybe their identity is just kind of being pretty good at everything. I don't know. Some teams are just like that. You don't have one thing that's dominant, but if you're a seven or an eight out of 10 at everything, you're going to win a lot of games. That is very much the national uh, opinion of the twins. I've heard that more than once that uh, they, they don't do anything like the Dodgers, like the Braves that jumps out at you like, Oh boy, no, but no other team has that. But it's hard to point to what the weakness is on this team. I mean, they, they need to settle on uh, what they're going to do in left field. Um, I'm more convinced now that maybe Louis Arise is the answer uh, for uh, however long it takes for them to decide that Alex Kirilov is ready. Um, but, uh, you know, they don't, have, they don't have anything that jumps out at you as we can't stop that, but they don't have anything that you say, well, it's the Twins. We're going to be able to take care of, of this. I guess they, uh, they haven't thrown out many base stealers. Maybe uh, it's not a big threat in today's game, though. No, it's not. Last thing for you. I mean, it seemed like Buxton and Arias, the whatever the illness issue was, that, that seemed like they're, they're clear of that. Do you have any update on Josh Donaldson? Well, uh, not any more than uh, he took batting practice yesterday, and uh, they always like to – have you him sit out then the next day, uh, anybody, not just Josh, but so I doubt that he did much today. Uh, but I was interested that when they made the move uh, to uh, put Rooker on the injured list and add another pitcher, Rocco said it was pretty specifically meant for today. It did not sound like this was a commitment to go with nine relievers uh, for the long haul. And that makes me wonder if, uh, they just do it for a couple of days because they think Donaldson uh, won't be gone much longer. That's, that's just an educated guess. Uh, I don't, I don't know that to be the case, but it was interesting that uh, Rocco specifically did not say that we're going to carry this many receivers for much longer. Good stuff. Phil Miller. Appreciate it. Um, Thursday home opener. Hope they get it in. Um, forecast has been kind of going back and forth. Looks a little bit better. So maybe they'll get that one in and uh, maybe we'll see Josh Donaldson in a few days too, which would be good news for a team that's probably had by and large, pretty good news already this year. Yeah. Home games. Wow. Home I, uh, games with fans. 
What do you know? I can't wait to see what Minnesota looks like. It's been so long. <laughs> it was 85 degrees the other day, Phil. You missed it. Sorry. No, no, no. Minnesota, I said, Mike. Minnesota. I know. I know it. Uh, well, good stuff. Appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll chat with you again soon. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Mike. Let's end with the cooler. Big signing by Minnesota United. Landing a really good attacking player, Ramon Abila. Why is this important? Well, I mean, obviously, the more good players you get, the better you're going to be. And the in United, the Loons were very close to, uh, to to making it to the MLS Cup Championship last season. But you know, this is a star league, right? This is a star. You know, sports are built around stars. You, you start to build your brand around stars. This guy, uh, Abila, coming coming from Argentina, just like Emmanuel Reynoso, who was emerging as a star for Minnesota United last year, um, from the same Boca Juniors team that, that Reynoso played for last year. If he is anything like Reynoso, and they can complement each other in any way, there's going to be a synergy there that's going to be exciting to watch. And when things are exciting to watch, casual fans, not just the hardcore fans, start to pay attention. So let's see how this works out. But it, it seems like a very important signing for Minnesota United, uh, you know, not only on the field, but in terms of recognition and in terms of the brand that they are trying to build. That'll do it for today. I'll have Randy Johnson on tomorrow to talk about the Frozen Four. He's out in Pittsburgh with three Minnesota teams out of the four playing in the men's Frozen Four out there. We'll talk about a lot of other stuff, too. Hopefully you can talk twins if the weather holds up. Thanks for joining me today on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand.